0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, I have a couple questions for you. Oh, okay. Do you wear makeup and fashionable
0: clothes? I wear makeup. uh, The fashionability... (laughs) <laughs> I think I might have made a board of my clothes, might be called into question, but I try. Well,
1: how about walking around outside unaccompanied and talking freely to men?
0: Um, well, yes, I do that, but mm-hmm. not necessarily like strangers on the street, but yeah, I do. But yeah, gentlemen. <laughs> gentlemen, that yes. Are, who are known to you? Gentlemen known to me unaccompanied. Yes, I do that. Speak to them.
1: And do you ever happen to drink beer or wear perfume? Uh,
0: yes, I prefer to only drink beer while I am wearing perfume.
1: Well, ding, ding, in the mid to late 19th century, you would be called a prostitute. How
0: dare you (laughs) accuse me?
1: Hey, it's not me. It's not coming from me. Right. It's coming from Victorian morals. Right. Yeah. Uh, The Victorian era, not exactly a boom time for women and their independence and going around wearing perfume. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, generally the mores of the period meant that they were restricted to their homes unless they were among the few who were actually hired as stenographers, seamstresses, or store clerks. So you had, you had a couple of jobs open to you as a woman back then.
0: <laughs> Literally a couple. Yeah. <laughs> or you could break out and either open, you could be an entrepreneur in one certain unsavory field. hmm Prostitution, brothels. Yep. Yeah and today on stuff mom never told you we are going to focus in on madams in the west because we learned that the opening of the west especially with things like the california gold rush going on created these boom towns for brothels and the women who ran them were some of the savviest and wealthiest entrepreneurs of the day. And while we could go we I mean Caroline, we could we could have like just years worth of podcasts based just on uh, on all the different aspects of prostitution. But today we're going to narrowly focus in on these early madams. Yeah, they um just like the men went out to strike it rich with
1: gold and mining and you know cattle ranching, the women followed. And they struck
0: it rich, too, in their own way. Yeah. And to give you a a little bit of historical context, the California Gold Rush happened from 1845 to 1848. And uh, Ruth Rosen, who wrote The Lost Sisterhood, Prostitution in America from 1900 to 1918, pinpoints the peak of women's engagement in prostitution between 1850 and 1900, and that's when, um, around when we have these, I mean, just incredibly successful women who were in such a tiny, tiny minority in the West.
1: Right. They really took advantage of supply and demand. Yes. Um, Because according to Thaddeus Russell, uh, who wrote A Renegade History of the United States, California in particular, the non-native american population out there in 1850 was 93% male. Women typically in this time made up only about uh let's see one out of every 50 people who showed up in the west.
0: Yeah, and there there was a study in that came out actually in the 1860s that characterized women who um who opened up brothels in the west as professional women intent on economic Success. And I mean, if you think about how much money they were making compared to things like being a stenographer or a seamstress, which would pay about six bucks a week, that was totally right. Because uh, let's see, the average prostitute, we're not even talking about the madam, the average prostitute in Helena, Montana, Helena, Montana made about two hundred and thirty dollars a month. Now, compare that, that to the $6 a week you could make as a stenographer. Or if you were a bank clerk, you'd only pull in about 125 Yeah. So why go legit? <laughs> yeah, when you can be a, be a prostitute. prostitute. Well, they didn't have many options to be this fair. This is true, yeah. Um going back to the lost sisterhood prostitution in America, Ruth Rosen says that prostitution probably reaches its greatest heights during the second wave of industrialization when heavy industry excludes women from participation in the labor force and at the same time under Victorian moral codes, women even if they might have been part of a wealthier household, they didn't have any control over their own finances.
1: Yeah, so out there in the Wild West, there were there were a couple more options uh, to make money and be independent. Yes. Um, people like Diamond Jesse Heyman uh, were pretty successful. She opened a three-story brothel in San Francisco and was able to provide her workers with wardrobes worth $6,000. They had 12 pairs of shoes, evening gowns, all sorts of lacy negligees <laughs> that she could afford to give them. And... But she didn't just stop there. She actually earned enough to buy several parcels of land
0: throughout the city. Yeah, we see this a lot, actually, um, with the more successful madams in the West, where they would amass these fortunes and they would reinvest them back into the land. For instance, we have Lou Graham, who became one of the largest landholders in the Pacific Northwest by investing in the stock market and real estate. And this former madam even contributed to Seattle's public school system. And similarly, we We have Jenny Rogers, the queen of the Colorado underworld, Mm. who owns several brothels in Denver and also bought up large parcels of land and bought shares of an irrigation and reservoir uh, project that paid off big time.
1: Yeah. Another queen of the underworld is Anna (laughs) Wilson, who was the queen of the Omaha underworld. And she ended up when she died, she bequeathed her giant uh, mansion uh, to the city and it became Omaha's first emergency hospital.
0: What do you know? I know. <laughs> and I think that one one quote that really gets at the heart of this entrepreneurial spirit, as questionable as it might seem, since these were mad- madams, uh, comes from Maddie Silks, who was a prostitute who, who worked her way up uh, to owning three brothels. And she said, I went into the sporting life for business reasons and for no other. It was a way for a woman in those days to make money. And I made it. I considered myself then and I do now a businesswoman.
1: Yeah. And that was the goal. I mean, these women who came, a lot of them came from impoverished backgrounds. And so when they saw an opportunity, they took it. A lot of them weren't getting into this business because they liked what they did so much. Right. It was more about, well, I can make so much m- more money to support my family.
0: Right. And you'll see that same argument come up um, in f- favor of sex workers these days who are able to have that kind of agency. Again, that's a whole other debate um, that we can get into in another podcast. But I think it's really interesting to see how this kind of similar to that cowgirl podcast that we mm-hmm. did a few weeks ago about how sort of the, the gender roles in the Wild West were – far less rigid than they were out east so were the laws well yes this is true (laughs) this is very true um but let's talk a little bit about a couple of of black madams who also were renegades in their own right
1: right yeah they were able to use their money that they earned to gain freedom uh mary ellen mammy pleasant was born a slave, and she eventually operated several boarding houses in San Francisco, but she used her position to actually sue to desegregate the city's streetcars. So some people call her the mother of civil rights out in California. Wow.
0: Yeah. And then we also have uh, Sarah Babe Connors, who ran two brothels in St. Louis, so obviously very successful, and she was easily recognizable because of the diamonds she embedded in her teeth. I like it. Um, But as you can imagine, brothel owners did not always get along, especially if you were, say, Etta Clark, a petite and fiery madam from Georgia, and Alice Abbott, who was this huge six-foot-tall woman who opened up, they both opened up brothels across the street from each other in El Paso. Intentions? ran pretty high. They did. Uh they,
1: they started off just as rivals and became enemies. Yes. And although the story's kind of sketchy as how they became enemies, it certainly ended up that way because uh, one of Alice's girls went across the street to try to work for Edda. Alice didn't like it. No. She she followed in a huff, was banging on Edda's door. And remember
0: Alice Alice
1: is six foot tall, six and feet tall, two hundred pounds. pounds. Yeah, 200 pounds a woman. <laughs> and so she's banging on that door, giving my girl back. Etta, the little, little petite southern Etta, opens the door and gets punched right in the face. In the face. Right in the kisser. <laughs> um, yeah, you would think that it would be over right, right then and there. Big woman, punching a little woman. Mm-mm. It's done. Yep. Give me my girl back. Let's go. No, it, it was not done. Etta did not give up.
0: No, Alice got her punch in. Etta went and grabbed her gun. Because a lot of madam owners, unlike this was another kind of stereotype they were breaking. A lot of these madams, you know, in the Wild West, they could wield some guns. Yeah, well, you had to be able to
1: protect yourself. Sure. Not only as somebody out in the Wild West by yourself, but you know, in your line of work, you needed to be able to protect yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you
0: can imagine that running a brothel can probably get a little dicey
1: sometimes. Yeah, a little bit shady. Um, yeah, she didn't just she didn't just shoot her any old place. Right, she shoot her. Etta shot Alice in the crotch.
0: Yes. And this is, I think the best part of the story. This became known as, and we're not lying to you. This became known as the pubic arch shooting named for the region in which she was shot. Yes. But the El Paso newspaper in a copy edit. Wrote it up as the public arch shooting.
1: And, uh, as a former copy editor, I can tell you that this is the reverse of a copy editor's worst nightmare. Exactly. You're constantly doing a search and replace for, for pubic, pubic. unfortunately, because you've got to worry about public meetings, public schools, public this and that. And uh-huh. It's very easy to
0: type pubic, pubic instead of public. So I, I love that this is a reverse copy editing <laughs> error. Um, but I think the two queens of the brothels at the time, would be the Everly sisters in Chicago. I mean, these ladies knew how to run a brothel.
1: Yeah, they were sort of the queens of Chicago, and they were determined to to rise to that rank, too. Um, depending on when you knew them, they might have been the Lester sisters or the Sims sisters, but when they moved to Chicago from Omaha, they decided to change their name to Everly based on their grandmother's, the way their grandmother would sign letters. Mm-hmm. She would sign them, Everly yours. So they just okay. took the name. Mm-hmm. They claimed to be about 10 years younger than they really were. Um, they said they were, I think, like 23, early 20s, mm-hmm. mid-20s, and they were actually in their early to mid-30s. Over the hill. was <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: Yeah, and if this might sound familiar if you've ever read Sin in the Second City by Karen Abbott, which Great is all book. about their empire that they built. I mean, just may I, may I read you the menu from a typical meal? At the Everly House, iced clam juice, Mm. caviar, pheasants, duck, geese, artichokes, lobster, fried oysters, deviled crabs, pecans, and bonbons. Let's not forget champagne in a shoe, which is what Prince Henry of Prussia drank when he visited. Probably because he would not—he was only allowed to either order champagne or wine, because the Everly sisters said no liquor, no liquor in their in their opulent brothel. That made them a fortune.
1: Yeah, they um, well, it helped that they were in a city full of millionaires. Yes, <laughs> they um kind of how they they got their start in Chicago. They they uh, bought a former brothel, mm-hmm. a huge mansion in Chicago in the Levy District, which is the vice den Ooh. of Chicago. Um, yeah, they bought a former brothel, took a look at all the uh, the current residents, mm-hmm. pretty haggard, well hardened. Yes. Fired all of them, gutted the place, hired new girls, gave them a great education. They, you know, the Everly sisters taught their girls to uh, read poetry, mm-hmm. uh, keep up with the news of the day, basically anything to keep them on par with their rich customers. Right.
0: And I thought <laughs> I liked too how they encouraged their um employees to try to to sort of delay sex as much as possible and get the men to, you know, engage them in conversation so that they would be ordering drinks and food. And they were like, let's, I mean, let's, <laughs> let's have them pay for, I can't remember what, what, there was some great quote from, from one of the sisters, but, uh but she was essentially like, you know, we have plenty to offer here besides just sex. And there was actually a waiting list to become what they called Everly Butterflies who made about a hundred dollars a week. Um, and again, compare that to the, the $6 a week stenographer fee. That's not too bad. And in addition, they offered their employees free health care. They had a doctor who would come and regularly check up on them, clothing allowances, things like that. But the Everly club in Chicago did come to an end. It was shut down in 1911, which is not all that surprising because a year before in 1910, the U.S. government passed the Mann Act or the White Slave Traffic Act, as it's also known, which basically um, shut down a lot of brothels. And the, the newfound FBI shifted a lot of its attention to these prostitution rings to shut down these these all these vice operations.
1: Right. There was a big panic over white slavery that girls were being, you know, girls fresh off the farm. Mm -hmm. They just stepped off the train and they were being snatched by these shady characters and, you know, taken and forcibly raped and uh, sold into basically slavery.
0: And many of them, and many of them were. I mean, we've been going on and on about these, you know, early entrepreneurs because there were so few opportunities for women to break into professional fields and earn their own fortunes at the time, it's worth noting that the reason why these women that we've been talking about were so successful because they were using good business practices in terms of treating their employees well mm-hmm. and providing meals, providing health care, the same types of benefits that we look for in our jobs, Right. Today. making
1: sure that their employees were taken care of basically, and that their customers were not going to suffer as a result of anything they
0: did. Whereas if you were a prostitute on the street, I mean, you would turn a trick for a quarter, you know, far, a far cry from the hundred dollars a week um, that you might get if you were working at the Everly club. So it might seem questionable to praise these women who were running brothels because, like you said earlier, Caroline, being a prostitute probably was not a lot of these girls' you know number one ambition in life. They probably didn't dream as a child of uh, working in a bordello. But going back to Ruth Rosen, who wrote The Lost Sisterhood, it's important to note that once clerical and the service sector opened up greater employment opportunities for women and more women started going to college, educational opportunities opened up, then you see the demise of prostitution.
1: Right. As long as there are other opportunities where you can legitimately make money and not catch a disease, I think women would take those better opportunities. However, if you had a family to support, maybe you weren't from a great background. Maybe you'd been a prostitute for years. And something like the Everly Club came along. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only natural that these
0: women would want to get on the waiting list to work there. Yeah, and if you are also—I mean, this was in Chicago. This could be your way out of this tiny town to the big city. Um, and I think that this this whole conversation about these these early madams and the early brothels in the United States is, you know, the, the themes are the same. If you talk about sex work today, in terms of sort of the the double-edged sort of like, well, you know. It can be an empowering way to be a female entrepreneur, but at the same time, is sex work, you know, a healthy thing?
1: Right. How many actually how many women actually choose to participate or are conned into it or feel that they have no other choice?
0: Right. And I think that it's it's a totally a mixed bag, which is why. We could go on and on and Mm -hmm. on about this, but pretty fascinating because those women who opened up that we were talking about, who opened up those brothels in the West were some of the wealthiest women in the U.S. at the time. They
1: had some of the biggest parcels of land. Mm -hmm. They had some of the the biggest bank accounts. They were able
0: to put diamonds in their teeth and they reinvested it into public works projects. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, I I think that. um I think that there's something to be said for, for these early entrepreneurs yeah. in the United States. But I'd like to hear from what other people think about, about these early madams and madams today. Cause we haven't even talked about Heidi Fleiss and the bunny ranch, the bunny ranch. I mean, yeah, there's not, we a could do a whole time. series. Yes. So let, we could, I mean, <laughs> let us know if you want a whole series, we can keep going.
1: Heidi Fleiss has a thing with parrots now on some some
0: reality show. Oh, she's raising parrots?
1: Just kinda of like Mike Tyson and the pigeons.
0: Oh, like from the <laughs> and the parrots. And the parrots? <sighs> Who knew? Um, well, if you would like to send us your thoughts on Madam's prostitution, sex work, anything under the sun, mom stuff at house is the email address. And let's read a couple letters right now. <laughs>
1: Okay, Kristen, Terry writes us in response to the rebounding podcast we did. She said, I know several widowers that rebound really quickly after their wives died. My own dad remarried two and a half years after my mom died. My parents were happily married for 41 years. When she died, I made my dad promise that he would not date anyone for a year so that he could be clear-headed when he started dating. I also made him promise that he wouldn't make any big decisions about his life in that year. He married a nice woman, so I'm not worried about him, but I've seen this go bad several times. It seems that men who have been married a long time need to be married or with someone. But the widows I know are not so quick to jump back in. My grandma said that she would never want to be another man's slave again. Thanks, Terry.
0: <laughs> Ooh, spicy grandma. I like it. Uh, well, I've got an email here from Elin. I hope I'm saying that right, Elin. Um <laughs> And we, we don't get requests like this very often, so I had to take her up on it. She writes, I have met a man that is like no other man. Mm. His name is Christopher, and she is asking for our help to read this letter to wish this amazing man a happy birthday on the 3rd of September. You will be 25 years old, and I want to spoil him He loves to listen to your podcast and you've kept him company when I've been bedridden and he's had to do the housework all by himself, head to the grocery store in the middle of the night or when he's now heading to work. It would make him so happy if you could mention him and give him a big hurrah. Well, Christopher, you sound like a class A dude. And I think this should be before September. So happy pre-birthday.
1: Happy birthday. uh, Labor Day birthday. And hurrah.
0: Hurrah. Way to be an awesome dude! And keep on keeping on with your awesomeness.
1: I yes, hope that made well you put. Happy.
0: <laughs> 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 so again, if you have any uh, any requests or thoughts you'd like to send our way, our email address is momstuff at You can also head over to Facebook and leave a comment there and like us. And you can follow us on Twitter as well at Mom Stuff Podcast. And finally, during the week, you can read our blog, It's Stuff Mom Never Told You, at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.